seeking help as a health professional and a physician is pretty daunting and even getting an idea of what's actually out there is really, really tough as, yeah, I think early on in 10, when I sort of first started w- working on the project, there was this, this classic image of trying to make 10, um, trying to make it like a one-stop shop where people go to there and they'd find the other services they would need. And they had this, this idea of, you know, the hospital billboard with all the different posters of different services that exist uh, and just kind of not knowing where to start because there were so many different options and not knowing what was, you know, what did these different things involve? What's their kind of, is it a crisis service? Is it like a, you know, more of like a support service or is it online resources? Like uh, Balance Medics has like a really good page for this as well of like providing quite clearly what this information is. And we've tried to do a similar thing on 10 you know are you a pharmacist are you a a doctor of just showing you what these different options are that you have available and sort of yeah I think the thing I'd like to share is just that those resources are suddenly they're getting better and better now and just familiarizing yourself before you need it (coughs) of what's out there and available to you are you a health professional wanting to explore all the options life has to offer then you've come to the right place The Balanced Medics Handover podcast is all about living outside the box of what we've been told. I'm Isabella, your host, a junior doctor from Australia and trained coach. I'll be interviewing health professionals from all walks of life, artists, authors, non-clinical specialists, and more. These stories show that our choices are endless. Let's take the journey together. This is The Handover. Hello and welcome back to the Balance Medics Handover podcast. This episode, we have Dr. Matthew Coleshill from the Black Dog Institute. Dr. Coleshill has a research background in health psychology and his research at the Black Dog Institute has focused on evaluating a blended care mental health um, support service for healthcare workers called the Essential Network or TEN. Dr. Coleshill has kindly come on to share his wisdom about common mental health struggles in healthcare workers and to share more about this great resource available to us. So without further ado, let's hand over to Matthew. Hey, Matthew, how are you? Yeah, very well. Thanks Thanks for having me on, Isabella. Um, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And I'm really happy to have you on and um, share your thoughts. And hopefully um, some of the listeners can uh, just feel more like everything's more normalized and have another resource available to them. Yeah, perfect. Now I start the episode the same way with everyone. Do you mind sharing a bit more about yourself um, and the work you're doing right now? Yeah, of course. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm a postdoctoral research fellow at um, the Black Dog Institute and UNSW. Um, so my research background has been in health psychology, particularly sort of the psychological or behavior aspects of medicine, like the placebo effect and medication adherence. Over the course of this sort of research, I gained quite a lot of experience in evaluating interventions, particularly digital interventions. Um, yeah, so a few years ago, I started working at the Black Dog Institute, where I've been evaluating um as you mentioned, uh, the Ascension Network or 10, which is a mental health support service for health professionals. That's great. And, and very uh, great bottom lining of, of everything you've done so far. <laughs> um, now, I first heard about 10 at the Doctors' Health Conference in December last year um, over in Adelaide. Do you mind explaining to the listeners what 10 is? Um, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, so 10 is a, it's a blended care mental health support service. So Uh, Blended care basically just means sort of a type of care that comprises both digital and person-to-person or sort of normal, like face-to-face therapy sort of components. 
Um, there's a whole load of different definitions within blended care and it can get a little bit messy, but for the most part, the idea behind uh, using blended care for 10 was to just kind of allow health professionals to have that flexibility to engage with um, different components depending on their needs. So, um, you know, if somebody's just like a little bit worried about their mental health, they could pop online and just kind of do a quick online assessment in their spare time or have a look at some, you know, some guides and just, you know, fairly low intensity stuff that's just about supporting uh, mental health or well-being. Um, and on the other side of it, if things are a little bit more intense or severe, people can just kind of go straight onto online CBT or they can engage with person-to-person -person services. So it's kind of allowing people to have that, that flexibility to engage with what they're after. Yeah, that's great. So um, I remember them talking about the quiz at the conference that it's kind of a fun thing to do to check in and see where you're at right now, um, and then it goes all the way to to one on one. Um, is it face to face support that you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah done through telehealth. Yeah, telehealth. Yeah. Um, now, who can access the resources of Ten? So it's it's for all health professionals. So it's not specific to kind of doctors and physicians. Um, so you know, doctors, nurses, allied health professionals. You know, that includes like social workers and paramedics and um, those kind of roles. Like really having some kind of um, patient care was sort of the main criteria. Uh, we do have a couple of eligibility sheets just on the website if uh, people were sort of you know weren't too sure if they were eligible to access it, but certainly you know, doctors and nurses and those very kind of traditional archetypal health professional roles are all eligible. Um, that being said, so because 10 is kind of this combination of person to person and online kind of digital offerings, the stuff on the website, the digital side of 10, on um, you know, it, it can all be accessed without an account or anything like that. So really anybody could kind of engage with it if they thought it'd be useful, um, though bearing in mind that it, it is all kind of heavily tailored to health professionals at the end of the day in terms of examples and, you know, images and stuff like that. Uh, it's only really when um, people wanted to engage with that that clinical service um, that it, we sort of confirm that people are health professionals. Um, and I just wanted to know a bit more about that. Do you need a referral to, to access 10? No, no. People can just kind of go onto the website. Um, uh it's sort of pretty clearly indicated on the main kind of page of 10. If you just sort of Google for the essential network, it'll pop up as the main black dog website for that. Um, from there, it kind of highlights sort of the, the clinical service and you just kind of basically submit an online request form. So you don't need any kind of referral from your GP or anything like that. Um, yeah, it will just go straight through to the clinical service and then they'll get back in touch with you. We'll note just at the moment, there has been a lot of interest in 10 recently. So there is a little bit of a wait time, particularly as we get into that tricky Christmas period where things will get a little bit kind of, um, you know, people go on leave and stuff like that. So it can be sort of eight to 10-ish weeks at the moment, but um, yeah, it's going down all of the time. So hopefully, hopefully it shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be too bad. And certainly I wouldn't want to, you know, suggest somebody doesn't get in touch if they feel like they need to um just want to sort of add that little caveat just to temper expectations potentially yeah thanks for sharing that um and i just wanted to know a bit more about if you were to access um 10 you know is it separate from your employer um is there an ability to maybe not use your whole name what what's the go with that yeah no it's a really it's a really good question and it's definitely um something that was kind of built into 10 from an early stage so when we were developing it um you know, doctors have all the concerns around mandatory reporting and stuff like this and just kind of that that concerns that sort of um 
you know, seeking help for a mental health condition, um, you know, might impact their registration or their career. Uh, so really, we wanted to kind of um, manage those sort of fears as, as best as we could. So uh, it's not it's not part of Medicare. So all of the information just stays within the Black Dog Institute clinic. Um, you know, it's completely unattached from EAPs and that kind of stuff. Essentially, it's just these consultations are very specific to Black Dog and they're not going to be part of any record outside of Black Dog. Uh, and yeah, the other question about names, um, I think, I think so because it's sort of unattached to Medicare and anything like that, uh, there is a bit more flexibility. I think from chatting to some of the clinicians, there have been a couple of times that people have sort of wanted to just use first names or they kind of were a little bit concerned. Obviously, for the purposes of setting up consultations, we need to be able to contact people and stuff like that. Um, but if it is something that somebody was really concerned about sort of re remaining anonymous, um, I'd still say just put in a request and just make that quite clear. And I'm, I'm sure there's some potential workaround or just using first names or something like that. Um, don't think it's something we've had to address too, too much just yet. But as I said, it's something we're, we're pretty aware of with 10. So I expect people will be very accommodating. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. I know a lot of people do have concerns about mandatory reporting um, and we don't want that to stop someone from getting the help that they need. Um, I also wanted to ask just about the costs. Um, is it free first five sessions or what's the go with the yeah sorry i should have mentioned that as well so yeah the, those five sessions that aren't covered by medicare they're all completely free um free for health professionals so that gets with a clinical psychologist most commonly but psychiatrists are also available if people have that preference um so yeah those five sessions are all completely free after that point we're now getting into this situation where some people have wanted to stay on um, and continue to see that clinician, then it kind of does switch more to that usual sort of Medicare model where there is a little bit of a fee, but um, often it's kind of bulk billed to black dog, sort of depending on what's going on at the time. So yeah, those first five C sessions, five free sessions, sorry, um, completely free. Um, and then moving past that, it's kind of up to the, the individual and how they wanted to proceed. Great. Thanks for sharing that. It's a really great cover of what's available and what's the go with that um, for, for clinicians. Uh, we've kind of touched on it a little bit that you have clinicians in mind, but what what does TEN offer for physicians that's different to um, the Black Dog Institute in general, for example? Yeah, so um, so the website's got quite a lot of resources. It does take parts that are available um, on sort of other support services or more broad, broadly on the Black Dog website, so just things we've kind of tried and tested. So the online um, mental health checkup, that sort of quiz, there is a version of that on the main website as well as as well as sort of embedded within 10, but we kind of changed the questions ever so slightly. So for instance, on the main checkup on the Black Dog website, there's more stuff related to know, like eating disorders and sort of other conditions like that. Whereas when we have specifically for 10, it's, it's covering you things like anxiety, depression, burnout, PTSD, sort of general functioning. So it's a bit more kind of tailored to what health professionals might be experiencing. Um, in addition to that sort of online assessment that kind of gives tailored feedback depending on how people do on these validated questionnaires, there's um, like various guides and videos about supporting mental health, um, links to various partners so like Hand in Hand, so peer support, as well as This Way Up. So they have their own kind of online uh, CBT programs that people can then access through 10. I suppose it's then getting into the work I've been doing on evaluating 10, but um, one of the things we noticed fairly early on from looking at kind of the, the people using the service and their, the outcomes they're reporting or the measures that they were um, 
was just burnout was very, very high, um, really high among users. And when we did a few studies looking at how 10 was helping people, uh, burnout wasn't really changing over the course of people's kind of use of the service. Uh, so relatively recently, uh, we developed Navigating Burnout, which is a pretty unique online sort of CBT program for burnout um, uh, for in health professionals. Uh, and that's all available on the 10 website as well. Um, yeah, that's kind of a reasonable little overview of the website. Um, and then as we've spoken about alongside that, uh, those digital kind of offerings is then the 10 clinic, which um, essentially is just kind of part of the overall black dog clinic where people can get these, these five free sessions with a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist. Yeah, that's really great to hear. And it sounds like you're constantly uh, reviewing and evaluating and adapting to, to better fit healthcare workers. Yeah, definitely. Um, Navigating Burnout was the last big sort of um, project we undertook um, last year, but we're sort of, we're currently going through another little bit of a review at the moment where we're talking to the clinicians who are seeing um, seeing health professionals and just kind of getting an idea of what are the recent, like, what are people commonly presenting with, you know, what resources might be helpful for you, what yeah, trying to get an idea of what else we can sort of add to the website to better help people. Yeah, this, that kind of leads me on to my next few questions of, um, do you mind sharing what's unique? about the physician population with mental health? Yeah, it's um, it's a really good question. Um, so 10 was a, originally conceived as kind of a support service for health professionals during COVID-19. Um, it was funded by the Australian federal government as part of their sort of uh, COVID-19 strategy. Um, now we, we've always known that health professionals were at a higher risk of poor mental health compared to the general population. I think I'm probably preaching to the choir with a lot of what I'm about to talk about now. <laughs> um, but COVID-19 kind of really shone a spotlight on that. Um, the public became more aware of sort of the, the stress that's placed on the healthcare system and health professionals. Uh, and I think sort of beyond that, there was a realisation that you kind of also need to keep health professionals you know, well, because they are supporting the, the overall health of the population. So it was a big drive for these kind of services during COVID. Um, but at the end of the day, as we moved through different stages of the pandemic, it, it's not like the original pressures were going to change. Um, so we're really hoping that we can continue to maintain the 10 service on a more permanent basis moving forward. And that's just kind of waiting to see what happens over the next few years. Um, in terms of what's unique about health professionals uh, and physicians it's um we initially kind of acknowledge the broad range of physicians that you know their roles vary quite a lot so a lot of these reasons might not apply to to absolutely everybody but you know classically you've got long hours you have shift work there's low job control for a lot of health professionals so sort of lack of autonomy in their workplace um high pressure environments and really high standards and a, a low tolerance for mistakes, um, general staffing issues, particularly understaffing, um, exposure to sort of uh, traumatic events. And and then really physicians tend to be pretty high achieving people. So there's quite a lot of, um, you know, factors like sort of addressing, how to put it, um, sort of navigating these challenges and not putting themselves down too hard when they make mistakes type of thing. Um, and then all of this together would have already been a pretty bad recipe for poor mental health outcomes in an occupation. But then on top of that, physicians seem to have some, well, they, they appear to have some pretty unique kind of cultural challenges that act as barriers to help seeking. So initially physicians are kind of, they're embedded within their healthcare system. So which seems like an obvious statement, but um, who do they go to see that's independent when, um, when they do have a mental health concern? So 
if you imagine the case of like a GP, they might already have a clinical psychologist that they refer their patients to. So it's hard for them to then follow that path and refer them or, you know, go speak to that person in kind of a, uh, a clinical way when they already have this existing professional relationship. And this is, it's particularly problematic in kind of regional Australia where the services are a lot more limited. Um, there's also, as we just spoke about, concerns around mandatory reporting and kind of, um, you know, people's registration and, uh, and APRA and whether or not being diagnosed with a mental health condition or being kind of um, treated for something can affect their registration. Um, I've noticed that the uh, Balanced Medics plot, like the website, has a pretty good overview of this as well. And 10 has something similar where we've just done a bit of a fact sheet on mandatory reporting to really kind of um, try to convey this sort of clearly to people that, having a health condition is not the same as being impaired uh, impairment to practice um, and that really seeking help is, is is much safer than not seeking help if you have that concern um, I suppose well there's probably other things as well there's also a bit of a culture of presenteeism where yeah as I said due to these staffing issues people don't really want to let their team down by sort of taking time off and looking after themselves so people just kind of push through and that contributes to sort of burnout and all these other factors as well um so yeah not only the health professionals kind of have a a lot of stuff that just contributes to poor mental health but then there's a lot of cultural barriers within the healthcare profession that's also then stopping people from seeking help afterwards as well yeah wow that's all so in oh sorry um, you sorry you wanted oh, sorry. to did you have something else you'd like to say i mean i feel like we've touched upon it a little bit i was just gonna sort of just thinking about it as well that um yeah, with all of this stuff in mind and consulting with professional bodies, we tried to design 10 in such a way that sort of overcame some of these barriers. So, you know, the website not needing registration, so people just kind of go online and access stuff without, you know, you know anonymity essentially being flexible so people can do it in their, you know, various hours if they're doing shift work and then and then having those sort of um the person-to-person -person services uh being free and not through medicare just to add that extra layer of confidentiality as well that they weren't concerned that this was going to be on you know their medicare record forever or something like that yeah that's that's so huge everything you said um i think people can can rewind and re-listen if they want to hear it again but there's so many factors it's quite a complex um issue so i think you did a really great job of of covering as much as you could. Um, and I, I just thought as well, it must be really useful for people, for GPs in towns where they're the only doctor, for example, and um, it is harder to keep that confidentiality. So having the telehealth, having something separate is is really huge. Yeah, definitely. Particularly trying to um, focus on regional and sort of remote um, physicians. Uh, as yeah, they just, uh, there's a I think already for Australians living in some of these areas, there's a there's a lack of services, and then yeah, just there's even more barriers in place for the physicians there. Not to say it's easy being in sort of metropolitan areas; these issues can still definitely pop up as well. But um, you know, being in a town where you're the only GP and everybody knows you is going to make referrals in this way pretty uh pretty sort of difficult. Definitely, definitely. Um, now you've touched on this issue. It's an issue everyone I'm sure has heard about. It's a, a really big one: physician burnout. Um, burnout is as is at an all-time high. Um, I think the recent stats were like 70% of physicians are experiencing it, something super high. Can you share more about what it is, what are common signs, and just a, a quick summary of that? Yeah. Um, so you spot on with the 70% figure. That, um, there was a sort of big cross-sectional study 
relatively early on during the the start of the COVID-19 pandemic that yeah, about 70% of physicians or sorry, of uh, health professionals broadly had moderate to severe burnout, which is just a staggeringly high percentage. Um, burnout's a little bit of an odd one as it's not technically listed in the DSM-5 as a mental health condition. Um, so it's generally conceptualized as a work-related syndrome um, characterized by uh, sort of emotional exhaustion, uh, disengagement from work, and a reduced sense of um, accomplishment. Um, in terms of what to look out for, um, some tangible signs might be like feeling tired before you're getting to work, increasingly talking about work in like a negative way, uh, feeling disconnected at work or being sort of less engaged with what you're doing. Um, and other things like needing more time after work to kind of relax and just generally just having less energy outside of work for um, your own sort of leisure activities. Yeah, that's some great common signs. Um, and, and how do we look out for it? And how can we best protect from it when we notice it? Yeah, um, I think just sort of being cognizant of those signs, they all sound pretty banal, I'm sure, to a lot of people listening. They're like, this is happening all the time. And that's probably indicative of the fact that 70% of health professionals are experiencing burnout currently. Um, it's pretty tough to protect yourself from it. Um, this is one of the things we kind of have to acknowledge with 10, that particularly with burnout, um, a lot of the contributing factors are systemic. Um, and, you know, we can place this emphasis on the individual to sort of protect themselves better or, you know, take these sort of steps to, to reduce burnout. But at the end of the day, if people are being made to work shifts and understaffing and stuff like that, um, they just don't have, you know, they have limited control to kind of counteract that, unfortunately. Um, just with that caveat in mind, um, this is sort of the, some of the stuff that's covered in navigating burnout is things like you know, acknowledging compassion fatigue is a thing and not really ref, ref, like doesn't really reflect people's ability as a physician, um, trying to have those kind of difficult conversations uh, around limits and workload at work, which again, I know it can be really, really tough. Um, and just sort of trying to rediscover or retain what drives people as physicians, you know, that that sort of um, the core values that led people to become um, doctors and nurses and health professionals. Um, and it's always like a, it almost seems banal to mention it, but then the classic self-care type stuff as well is, is pretty important, like sleep hygiene, diet, exercise, and socializing. They always pop up and they just kind of seem a little bit kind of, um, you know, we've all heard this before, but they, they can really help just with general mental health and certainly, um, you know, they can have a bit of a contributing factor to burnout as well. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, every, every we've done a medical degree, you know, we know what the body needs, um, <laughs> theoretically. Um, it's sometimes hard to put into practice, um, especially when, when you run off your feet on a shift. Um, thanks for sharing the systemic things because I, I think there can be a tendency to focus on, on um, trying to make the individual more resilient um, when it's no wonder people are tired from doing, you know, seven nights straight, kind of 12 and a half hour shifts straight. Um, I, I think also what's what's big is to just uh, not beat yourself up about feeling the way you're feeling. Um, if you're tired, if you want to take time off, um, that it's not because you're weak or anything like that, that it's a, it's so common right now. Yeah, definitely. And um, um, yeah, it was, it was sort of a difficult when we were putting together this sort of CBT course for burnout that we, you know, 
knowing that something was such a systemic sort of issue, but then trying to come up with ways that people can manage it themselves um, and sort of trying to thread that line and not, yeah, not make it out like it's the person's fault, essentially, that this is happening and trying to, how we can make tools that could help quite a lot of people. But um, yeah, acknowledging that, yeah, it's it's not people's fault that they're feeling this way. Like it's, uh, yeah, it's a very, very tough job and a lot is expected of people and there's a lot of demands and um, yeah, a lot of sort of broad issues in terms of financing and staff and things like that. Um, and as you said, just sort of trying to take some time if possible and have those difficult conversations about being able to take some time off and acknowledging that people have limits and um, yeah, you do need a break every now and again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, now, thank you for talking about that tough topic. I have another one to throw at you, um, physician anxiety. So uh, can you explain to the listener what this is um, and again, what some common signs are if you're feeling it? Yeah, so um, anxiety is kind of characterized by excessive worry or anxiety um, about events or problems that it's starting to have an impact on people's daily functioning um it's generally accompanied by sort of restlessness and difficulty concentrating or irritability or difficulty sleeping um and there can be a lot of kind of uh physiological symptoms as well like increased heart rate and sort of gastrointestinal irritation and stuff like that yeah that's some really great signs um and symptoms to to call out there i'm sure a lot of people might feel the physical things before they start clocking in that it's anxiety um so who can be affected how how common is it yeah so it's um I mean, most of this is just going to be us talking about how common all of these these, uh, these uh, conditions are among health professionals <laughs> and physicians, unfortunately. Um, I mean, anxiety within the general population is one of the most common mental health conditions. I think it's um, recent sort of Australian Bureau of Statistics data was about 11 or 10 or so percent of women and about 5% of men would experience generalized anxiety disorder over their whole lives. Um in health professionals, uh, I think that same cross-sectional study that we spoke about with the 70%, um, the 70% figure for burnout was about 25% had moderate to severe anxiety. Um, and about 60% or so had sort of mild all the way up to severe. So it, it's, it's still very, very prevalent. Um, I think one of the things I'll just add as a caveat with some of this research, um, little bit hard with burnout because we don't really have necessarily sort of interview criteria for burnout but um it's how, how do you sort of um how do you diagnose a lot of these conditions and generally self-report scales tend to be a little bit skewed towards um giving people that clinical indication compared to say a diagnostic interview um so you do get a little bit of variance between different studies and often that kind of government population data will be taking um like pretty uh uh, how to put it like pretty clear-cut data essentially in terms of healthcare utilization and stuff like that but still anyway a quarter of people having moderate to severe anxiety is pretty intense uh, or pretty high and then um we were also looking at some data from people completing these online assessments as part of 10 and this is a bit of a skewed sample in that these are you know, health professionals who've kind of already acknowledged that they they need to seek out a mental health support service they've gone and found 10 then completed one of these skills and the way the the online assessment works is you kind of have the you have an initial measure of just general mental health distress uh and then after that 
you can kind of self-select if you want to do you know anxiety depression burnout and all those kind of things um, so this is a really skewed sample is what I'm trying to say where they're people who've acknowledged that they probably need to do a mental health assessment and then they self-selected what to what to complete um, but we found that about 45% of people who completed that uh, had moderate to severe anxiety. So, yeah, again, it's it's very, very high. Um, I think as acknowledged by uh, the, like the government data there does tend to be um, more prevalent in women compared to men. But really, given these numbers, it's you know, pretty much anybody can be affected. Yeah. And, and once you do notice that something's not quite right, you know, um, maybe the the heart fluttering, stomach issues, um, trouble sleeping, kind of ruminating maybe over did I do the right thing? Did I forget to chart that medication? I'm sure everyone listening has had that moment and then you go to work and you probably did, but you're, you're just running over in your head. Um, what what can you do when you notice that that's happening? Yeah, um, so sort of suppose it depends if it's that kind of the more formal sort of diagnosis or if it's just kind of mild anxiety and you're like a little bit worried that you're getting preoccupied with these things um at the end of the day I, i'm a research psychologist i'm not a clinical psychologist so i'm always going to go straight for a you know, yes <laughs> help immediately i don't want to give out medical advice um particularly to i mean never to anybody but especially to people who are medical professionals <laughs> um yeah so it really does depend on like the the, the best thing the severity initially, um, you'll be aware of the treatments for quite severe anxiety, but I suppose in general, if it's, if it's quite mild and you're not sort of, you don't necessarily think you need to seek sort of, um, you know, general support for it. Again, it kind of comes back to all this self-care stuff, but, um, you know, exercise and lifestyle changes, you know, alcohol consumption can all be factors. And there's a lot of like re relaxation techniques out there. So sort of breathing exercise and muscle relaxation. Um, and all of those can sort of help calm you down when you're getting those little ruminating thoughts about doing things or having, you know, worrying worries about having yeah. done something. Yeah. And I, and I guess the, the key thing is recognizing it. And then from there you can, you can see what help you can find um, in the show notes. I'll put, resources the 10 um 10 as well as doctors health um new south wales it's got a 24 7 phone line um so it's uh if you are in crisis at any time of day and night you can call them um now another another issue that i think is not as often spoken about i think physician burnout is very spoken about right now but ptsd um is another issue that can affect doctors um, I've written about the stats. I forgot the exact number, but after witnessing trauma, negative patient outcomes, it's very common to experience symptoms of PTSD. Um, again, what are some common signs and symptoms? How can we notice them? Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. With those numbers, I think from um, again that that saying the Smallwood study um, was a really nice overview just at the start of uh, COVID nineteen of just the general. Um, general sort of mental health of health professionals in Australia, um, <clears throat> it was about 40% um, had sort of some kind of indication for PTSD, which given the severity of PTSD as a condition is, is really concerningly high. And um, again, with that kind of the data we were looking at with the completed online assessments, I think it was about 30 or so percent or a third of people who completed that PTSD kind of um, questionnaire were kind of clinically significant or indicated for PTSD. Um, 
it's also it's interesting you mentioned about <clears throat> you know burnout being this big focus at the moment and it is definitely incredibly prevalent and we need to be doing more to sort of support uh, physicians experiencing burnout but <clears throat> it's been interesting talking to people about how uh, sorry this is also a little bit of a tangent about here just about burnout <laughs> that's okay go for it um it's like it's a bit like burnout's become sort of the acceptable face of mental health in in health professionals it's sort of there's all these issues I mentioned before about concerns around help seeking it's a bit like burnout's kind of a fine thing to talk about and you know acknowledge that you're experiencing it um whereas things like PTSD and like depression are a little bit more you know taboo essentially and not really um if that kind of makes sense it's sort of people can acknowledge they have burnout but they're more worried about acknowledging that there would be other kind of um mental health concerns um in terms of the main symptoms, there's, there's four main symptom clusters for PTSD, uh, like re-experiencing the trauma. So like nightmares or like reactions to sort of things that remind you of it. Um, you've got avoiding those reminders in the first place. That could be like people, places or objects, just avoiding those things that could kind of trigger that memory. Um got kind of negative changes in thoughts and mood um after the the traumas happen so like often or sometimes there's kind of impairment like memory impairment around the the event itself or like guilt uh even if it wasn't your fault and you just observed something like guilt that you could have done things differently or somehow to blame uh like just general anhedonia um and like a sense of detachment from other people um and then lastly it's um it's just kind of general like arousal like being sort of irritable or hypervigilant or not being able to sleep and difficulty concentrating um so yeah those sort of four main symptom clusters for ptsd but they're all they're all fairly interrelated in a lot of ways yeah thank you for sharing that and yeah i completely agree um i think even from personal experience if you mention that you're feeling stressed and that you do need some support people tell you make sure they just write that you have like burnout or stress from work work-related stress, never let anyone say something else, which um, is interesting <laughs> it's, it, that, that that's the kind of current narrative. So it's it's great to, to share about other things like PTSD and how common it is. 40% is quite a high number. Um, and, yeah, yeah, so it's important to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think the numbers on PTSD, are, the burnout ones are, are harrowing just given how high they are. I think for one of the... Um, one of the subscales for um, burnout, um, you know, you have that kind of uh, like disengagement from work, like, sorry, um, you know, emotional kind of exhaustion and the disengagement from work. And I think for one of the subscales in our sample, we were looking at above 90% were in that clinical range for that, uh, which I just don't think you want to see a sample of anybody having more than like 90% <laughs> indicated for a, for something. Um but even, yeah, the PTSD for how serious it is and not to diminish burnout is something, but um, if 40% having PTSD, like indication for PTSD is, is really concerningly high. Yeah, it is, it is. And um, this has inspired me to repost my PTSD post as well on Instagram just to give it some air. And, um, and just for anyone listening, a lot of people responded to that post. A lot of people saved a message saying they were happy to have seen it. So if you are feeling anything like that, um, you're not alone like we said, 40%, it's very common. Um, and seeking help um, is better than trying to avoid it until you come to a breaking point, which I think some people also can can uh, um, 
have experienced that and that a lot of physicians push through until that moment, um, which we don't want to happen. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now we've covered a wide range of common issues. Um, we've spoken, I think we've kind of touched on this question actually. We probably have answered mm -hmm. it. When do we think um, health professionals should consider seeking professional help? Um, so I think any of those symptoms. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I think, yeah. Um, reiterate that again, that as a researcher, don't want to give out medical advice, but uh, I think it's the same principle health professionals would take that uh, if you have a concern about something, you know, go and talk to somebody about it sooner rather than later. And particularly with, you know, PTSD and things that can, you know, are related to a lot of very poor long-term outcomes and other mental health conditions. Um yeah, I think, you know, good places to start if, you know, popping onto 10 and doing that online assessment. And, you know, if you click all the different outcomes or like all the different measures, you know, take a little bit, like 10 minutes or so. But those are all validated common use measures within um within research and kind of uh, and um uh, and sort of uh, within within and clinically as well. So, yeah, that can just give you a little bit of an idea of what might be a cause for concern. Um and that will prompt you if something is really high, just sort of go go speak to a GP or something like that. Um, yeah, and I think just sort of starting by having a chat with a trusted friend or colleague or a family member or, yeah, having a regular GP that you do trust and just kind of, um, if you have any concerns at all, just, just broaching it sooner rather than later and not waiting. Yeah, definitely. And I'm glad you touched on that. Um, you don't need to wait until you're you're falling into pieces to, to have a GP um, and just to have a checkup. Um, and I'll put a link to that as well, that there's a list, um, from the AMA of doctors that are happy to treat doctors, um, certain clinics, that's their specialty in, um, GPs treating other doctors and GPs. So I'll put that in the show notes. Um, now we're nearing the end of the episode. I asked this of everyone on the show, what is balance to you? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's hard in research sometimes, like it is within, a within, um, um, uh, I think it's sort of been able to give enough attention to all the different bits of your life without anything getting neglected. Um, if that kind of makes sense of, you know, you're, you're putting enough time into the pastimes you like and your work and sort of relationships and friendships and yeah, just been able to actually give them all the attention they, they, they should have without anything getting left behind would be balance. Yeah, thanks for sharing your perspective. I like hearing everyone's different views on it. Um, now, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think would benefit the listeners? I mean, again, it's probably, it's 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 more stuff that I think are just anecdotes. Everybody is going to, um, everybody is going to, uh, you know, resonate with, and again, preaching to sort of the choir with all of this. But, um, you know, it seeking help as a health professional and a physician is pretty daunting and even getting an idea of what's actually out there is really, really tough as, yeah, I think early on in 10, when I sort of first started w working on the project, there was this, this classic image of trying to make 10, um, trying to make it like a one-stop shop where people go to there and they'd find the other services they would need. And they had this, this idea of, you know, the hospital billboard with all the different posters of different services that exist uh, and just kind of not knowing where to start because there were so many different options and not knowing what was, you know, what did these different things involve? What's their kind of, is it a crisis service? Is it like a, you know, more of like a support service or is it online resources? Um, yeah, and just sort of how... It's starting now, and I know um, um, 
like uh, Balance Medics has like a really good page for this as well of like providing quite clearly what this information is. And we've tried to do a similar thing on 10, you know, are you a pharmacist? Are you a, a doctor of just showing you what these different options are that you have available and sort of, yeah, I think the thing I'd like to share is just that those resources are starting, they're getting better and better now and just familiarizing yourself before you need it <clears throat> of what's out there and available to you um, <clears throat> before you're kind of, you know, searching for it frantically and it's, you know, buried at the bottom of some email you got from the hospital admin six months ago at the very end and you kind of overlooked it because you're receiving, you know, dozens of emails all the time about this type of thing or it's just right at the bottom of like a really, really tedious general update email or something like that. So, yeah, just sort of taking a bit of time. There are these resources out there to just kind of go, you know, this is my role. What What is there for me? Yeah, that's really great advice. Um, and I like that analogy of, of uh, you know, scrambling through all the emails that you get from admin, trying to find between the rosters and this and that, the one, the one little number of um you can call if you if you want some assistance. So um, familiarizing yourself with those resources, I'll put some in the show notes, um, and I'll put ten in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to add on how people can find out more about ten or 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 search more about that? Yeah, I mean, if you just Google search the Essential Network, um, it'll be the first Black Dog sort of page at the top up there. Um, I think the only little caveat I will just add about this is um, some people have had some issues navigating the site. This is a bit of a byproduct of the fact that it's hosted on, on the Black Dog website. So the top bar at the very top is actually moving around the entirety of the Black Dog website. Um, so just kind of bear that in mind that if you go on it, we've had a few people kind of go on it and, you know, it's their natural instinct. It's how most websites work, that they kind of see the top bar and then they navigate to some other bit of the website. Um, so it's just kind of on the main page on the left side to navigate. Frustrating, I know, um, just internet uh, internet infrastructure at times can be a little bit of a hassle. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that's irked us for a while, but we, we just haven't been able to fix it short of, you know, migrating the entirety of this service away from the Black Dog website, which at the end of the day is a Black Dog service. So, yeah. Just with that in mind, if somebody's rushing trying to find some of these pages, uh, <laughs> it's definitely not the top bar. Yeah, well, you can Don't click the top bar. Available on the website. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's easy to get a little bit lost. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, websites um, can be tricky. That's for sure. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. It's been really great. Um, you you shared such great points and hopefully someone listening will get some benefit from this and um, learn more about 10. Yeah, thanks very much for having me on, Isabella. And um, yeah, I, I really hope some of the listeners um, find some of the stuff we have available useful. You've been listening to the Balance Medics Handover podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, I'd love for you to take a minute to rate and review this podcast and click the follow button. For more resources, check out the Balance Medics website. The link to this will be in the show notes below. See you next episode.